you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. We will come back. How that will be, I don't know, but you can't keep us down. We'll find a way, but it will take time and it will take a lot of creativity with management, you know, studios, everybody. That's actor and producer Glenn Close. The creative process is what excites me the most, the research and the development and how do we figure out how we're going to make these elements. So stage one, I'm very excited about. Stage two, I'm not sure how to do it, but we'll get there. And that's Ruth Carter, the Oscar-winning costume designer from Black Panther. I'm John Horn. While Glenn Close works in front of the camera and Ruth Carter behind it, Many of their concerns are actually the same. How's the industry going to return from all of this? And who's going to fight to make sure that the same old stories and the same old storytellers don't come back with the same old power? This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our podcast. It's where we ask some of the entertainment industry's brightest minds what they do to fix what's broken when production resumes. First up, costume designer Ruth Carter. She's worked on films like Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, Steven Spielberg's Amistad, and the upcoming Coming to America sequel. And at the 2019 Academy Awards, this happened to her. Black Panther Ruth Carter! She won for her work on Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, and that made her the first black person to ever win an Academy Award for costume design. This has been a long time coming. (laughs) Spike Lee, thank you for my start. I hope this makes you proud. Carter was also the first black person to be nominated for an Academy Award for costume design way back in 1993 for Malcolm X. Despite her personal success, Carter believes there's always been something fundamentally wrong in Hollywood. I think it was built on a broken narrative. You think about D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. It was was totally a broken narrative. And, you know, people bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And that became, you know, the standard. In Hollywood itself, even though those films were were going on and people were in red face and black face, there were people behind the scenes 
building those costumes and doing the props. And they were people of color doing all kinds of supportive crafts that created that, that cinematic event that was not including them. So I, you know, feel like it, the, the work is to be done still uh, to shine the light on a lot of these uh, supportive uh, people, not only as directors and producers, but also as, you know, craftspeople like myself. Back when Ruth Carter was getting her start in costume design, she didn't have a lot of role models. And at a certain point, as she progressed in her career, Carter realized that she was blazing a trail for others. I wasn't overly concerned about a mentor that looked like me in the beginning because I expected that there wouldn't be any or many. I, I looked for a costume designer that I wanted to be like. And so I was forging this path of, you know, I'd volunteer at, at Western Costume when it was on Melrose, and I'd hear the names of costume designers over the loudspeaker being summoned to calls. And I thought, wow, that's Milena Cannonero. I've heard of her. Wow, that's Ann Roth. I've seen all of her films. And I looked at my role as an artist and I was seeking out other artists. But as a black woman, I started to realize when I'd work with Spike and I started to become more of a film student because I started in theater, um, there wasn't very much representation in front of the camera and behind the camera. And it was you know, our quest to create images for in front of the camera that we felt represented our community better. And my passion from behind the camera was to say, well, I'm here because Spike Lee said I am the costume designer for his film. And now I can take on that leadership as an artist, but also as a mentor. So I always had interns. I was an intern. I knew the value of internships. And it was my hope that there would also, even though I was young in the game, that there would be another person who was as passionate as I was to reach the top. And I I dreamed about like, wow, what if I were to win the Oscar? Like, how fantastic would that be? Um, and realized after I got on stage, or maybe also before, but especially after winning, that I was a role model. I didn't expect, you know, uh, anything. I had no expectations, honestly. I just wanted to be a good costume designer. And when I got Black Panther, I knew I had a responsibility to the culture and representation to the culture. And that was something that had been a part of my whole trajectory of my career. So how does that continue? Because I think one of the things that everybody is thinking about is, okay, there are going to be practical implications for what's going to happen next. How do we do, you know, social distancing on set? How does hair and makeup work? And then there's a the bigger question that while the town is shut down, the nation and the world has had this global reckoning about how we treat people who look differently than people like me, than white guys. And the yeah. question is being asked at companies like Nike. It's being asked inside studios. And I think the question that we're trying to answer is, what is the response for Hollywood going to look like? And what could it be like? So mm -hmm. if you imagine that there's a way out of this that's going to pick up where the town left off and maybe 
really start making some meaningful change, what would that entail? What are the kinds of things that you would hope for when things get going again? My dream now and my hope for the world is to put a new lens in and look at people for their value and for their their contributions. It's not the same game. It's not the same world. And, you know, we no longer have patience for the old establishment and the old world view. We really want to create a new world for ourselves that's passionate about everybody's story. And I used to think that, you know, a certain group didn't go see my movies. And that's why I had to get an Oscar nomination to actually get an interview for a big Hollywood film. And that's kind of how it was for me. I, I was nominated for Malcolm X. And, but I was also protected by a group of filmmakers that really did want me to excel and that had a vision for where we are in, in creating a new Hollywood and a new, a new view. And so, you know, I think we have been shaken up and I hope shaken up enough for people to see that, you know, it's not just one view of excellence. There's many views of excellence and that we need to know about each other and we need to, you know, embrace it. As we're talking, the whole idea of a theatrical movie is, is in, I guess, total chaos. You know, Tenant might come out, but a lot of movies aren't coming out in theaters. Some movies that were going to be in theaters are coming out on streaming services. As a designer and as somebody who cares a lot about your craft, it could be, you know, the detail in a brocade. It could be the stitching. If you're watching that movie on a streaming service, you're not going to notice that. Do you worry about people saying, well, it doesn't have to be that good because they're going to watch it on their laptop? And how do you fight that fight where you go, every stitch matters, and I'm not going to cut corners. Yes, I I always thought about like TV versus film, and there was always kind of this thing where you know you had so many episodes to do that you know people wanted you to just kind of get to the idea, you know, and move on to something else. And that's why I loved film because film was a slower process; it was a deeper dive. I could do a lot more detail in my work. I could really be passionate and care. And people love that and embrace it. Actors love that, embrace that I had thought through the costumes for their characters and added details that helped them to support their characters. And so it, 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 when I look at a lot of things that have come out recently, I just, you know, I'm kind of sad that they weren't on the big screen because I would have enjoyed them even more on the big screen. Unlike a lot of the filmmakers and artists that we've spoken to on this podcast, Ruth Carter isn't platform agnostic. She wants people to see her work in theaters first, not at home on a TV. My work is for the big screen. For now, that's where I set my sights. And, you know, I'm very aspirational. My last movie was Coming to America too, And you've got to see that on the big screen. Um, you know, there's time for that later to go, uh, you know, into everyone's home. But some of the, the spectacle of it is so grand that, you know, you'll have a feast of beautiful artistry and cinematography to enjoy. And that's how it was meant to be seen. 
if you're making a movie that's set in Wakanda, people are not going to be wearing masks. They're not going to be socially distanced because that world doesn't exist. If you're making a movie set on Wall Street, people might have masks if it's modern day. Do you think it's going to really change the way that customers think about how people are dressing if they're doing a modern day story and are they ignoring the pandemic, pretending it doesn't exist? What are they going to do in terms of how people dress and look? You go out on the street now, at least around here, people are wearing masks, maybe not in other states. Yeah, I mean, it's 2020. It's This is how we're going to show 2020 and hopefully just 2020. Uh, we're going to show people on the street, some with masks, some without. Um, it's up to the writers and the producers what how, how much of that they want to see. Um, certainly there are some more intimate scenes that can be without masks and in homes where people have quarantined together if it's 2020. So it's creative, um, but it's a sign of the times. And here's my last question. You talked about role models and mentorships. And part of the problem in Hollywood is that the typical hiring decisions are made from a group of people that people have worked with before. It becomes kind of a self-repeating, self-perpetuating cycle. So what are the kinds of things that anybody can do to break that cycle and make sure that the doors are open to people who haven't had a chance, who aren't the same band of people who get hired again and again, that there's a path in for people who don't normally have an easy access to breaking in? There's two ideas about how to bring about change, in my opinion. There is my decision that we're going to have a crew, a wardrobe crew that's representative. Uh, it's not all one thing. It has a nice balance of, you know, all of the world. Um, and that makes me feel comfortable in my own environment, that there's someone who looks like me. There's also, you know, someone uh, who is non-white, who is LBGTQ. I like that kind of a world. But that doesn't mean that everyone understands what I'm requesting on my crew. They don't maybe understand the, the value of it. So I think the responsibility lies in us communicating with each other. And I sit down with my white compadres and I say, the expansive community, the people of color here need to know that they have an opportunity to grow in this environment. And if there is a position that's opening up, they may not have the experience and the know-how, but they need to know that they at least will be considered for upward mobility because we haven't been included and we haven't been discussed enough. And it's my job to point out what about that is of value and the opportunity itself is of value. So I have those conversations and they get it and they understand it because you know, in this uh, this environment, the entertainment industry, we only kind of see this place where we got things done and and we want to keep it the same because we know it. But, but we have to train these people. We have to empower them and let everybody know that there's there's an opportunity. They are candidates for it. When we come back, actor and producer, Glenn Close. 
something that I've always aspired to is to make choices that add positively to the human experience and to our, our communal nervous system. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Welcome back to Hollywood, the sequel. When the pandemic brought production to a halt way back in March, Glenn Close headed off to Montana. She had just wrapped Hillbilly Elegy for Netflix, and her long-delayed remake of Sunset Boulevard was still on hold. With so much time on her hands, she decided to work on a screenplay. And back when we talked in early summer, returning to work as an actor on a set? Well, That seemed way out on the horizon. Well, for me, because I've had a lot of pneumonia issues, um, I won't really be totally safe until there's a vaccine. But that could be a year away. I know. So my career is over. (laughs) (laughs) It's been wonderful. I had a great time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you have a good sense of humor about it. She was able to laugh about it, but she also had a new perspective. I think, I hope that people are reevaluating what's important in life. I certainly know for me, the process is everything. As an artist, the process of creation with the whole, you know, collaborative team that we deal with on a daily basis and what we do, that is what feeds my soul. And that is about getting together every day and looking into other people's eyes and reacting from that and reflecting off of it and how that will um, affect our our industry. I'm not sure, but I did a uh, virtual or, or whatever they call it, ADR for Hillbilly Elegy last week. And it kind of, it made me sad because I was in this little upstairs guest room and um, with pillows around this device, this wonderful device that allows you to do ADR, but everybody was in different places rather than being all together in a studio, you know, and the director there and you're in the, in the soundstage. And it's just, again, it kind of is the final collaboration that an actor has with a project, the ADR. When you're re-recording dialogue. Yes. And I realized how much the process and actually being in the room with creative people means to me. So I hope we will find a way to go back to that. 
I sure long for that day. Um, and that's where I think the value of what we do has always rested with me is with the collaborations. You posted a Instagram video where you said, and I apologize for quoting yourself back to you, but you said one of the most important things that can come out of this global crisis is a profound understanding of how important each one of us is to the other, that your fate is my fate. So it's one thing to talk about how we treat another, but how is that expressed through stories? What does that mean to an artist, as you, as an actor, as a producer? How does that translate into the choices that we make or can make that might be different or maybe inspired by what's happening now? I've, um, more, more than ever, but it's something that I've always aspired to, is to make choices that add positively to the human experience and to our, our communal nervous system. Because we are, you know, we still are animals and we still have our chemistries and we still are uh, affected emotionally and that goes into our bodies. And I think why we have endemic stress and depression and suicide is because our nervous system is all messed up. And I think the arts is actually something that feeds into our the body politic. And I would rather be known for something that feeds positively into it, either in stories that make people realize what it means to be a human being or stories that can inspire you to be something other than what you think you are. You know, it's just something that puts out positive energy. So I seek stories that help us understand the human condition. Do you think others will come out of this sharing that? Is it possible that there might be a reassessment or are we going to go back to Transformers and Avengers and Fast and Furious and life as it's always been, that kind of escapism that has no tether to how we talk and live together? I think there's probably something in the human psyche that always wants to have those those kinds of movies to get absolutely away from the realities of life. <laughs> so I, you know, but I do think uh, hopefully there will be a new golden age of deeper stories, which, you know, they used to make all the time, but now it's always independent films that seem to be, you know, to fill that, that role. Uh, and, and maybe we'll come to a time where, uh, I, I don't know. It's really interesting because now on there's so much content uh, on all the streaming platforms that people are telling stories like that again, I think. It really does give a possibility and a platform for those kinds of stories that reach right into people's living rooms. So I, I'm, I think it will happen. I think it's happening now, actually. I want to ask you about an audience because outside of doing film and TV, you've done stage work. And the idea of going back into a theater, not a movie theater, but a live theater, and about what it means to be close to an actor doing his or her job and that communal experience. And it's not like you get that when you go see a movie, it's different with theater. That seems so important, and I don't even know when that's gonna come back and what we miss by not having that when we return. I know, oh my. You know, my theater in New York is my home. 
there's nothing that will ever substitute for a live audience experiencing the same thing from live actors at, at the same moment. You, they, the, I think the thing that theater does, that live theater does, is create a community in the moment. And they all are experiencing something in the moment together. And it's basic, basic, basic to human human need. You know, I, I really believe that. Uh, it's, you know, it's the guy getting up in the fire in the cave and telling a story. It's the same thing. And there's nothing that will substitute for that. It's molecular. It's, you know, you disturb air. The actors, you actually have to have muscles and tendons to thrust that kind of emotion out into an audience. And then they throw it back to you. So it's this incredible molecular exchange that ends up with both parties, those of us on stage who feel that something magic happened, and uh, those in the audience who will never forget that particular performance, you know, and then it's gone. There's nothing, nothing will ever substitute for that. And I think, um, I hope uh, we might not be able to get back to that until there's a vaccine, uh, or maybe there'll be a way to, I don't know. I, I just don't know, but I, I, I know that, uh, the theater community is hurting. You know, I think we will come back. We will come back. How that will be, I don't know, but you can't keep us down. We'll find a way, but it will take time and it will take a lot of creativity with management, you know, studios, everybody. weeks to come, we're going to hear from Akiva Goldsman. He's the Oscar-winning screenwriter from A Beautiful Mind and the co-creator of Star Trek, Picard. I think the more we become flexible and break these boundaries that I think were actually based on production needs and limitations that no longer exist, I think that suddenly we have this fluid idea of what entertainment is. Our thanks to Glenn Close and Ruth Carter and to you for listening. We hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to give us a rating, leave us a comment, and share the podcast. This episode of Hollywood the Sequel was produced by Shelley Lewis, Monica Bushman, and Jonathan Shiflett with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our theme music is composed by Nicholas Bertel. Hollywood The Sequel is a production of Elias Studios. I'm John Horn. We'll see you next time. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.